Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered, Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa Curry-Lowitz, and I'm here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Hi, how's it going today? Welcome to the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. Today it is Wednesday, February 17th. And today I have a juicy, fascinating show with an extraordinary guest on a topic that I personally have been exploring for the past several years. However, this has affected my life since puberty. And I know there are millions of women in the world who know exactly what I am talking about. This episode is for everyone, as all human beings have hormones, stress, and the female reproductive hormones are just not spoken about enough in today's world. So sit tight, buckle up, because this episode is going to uncover a ton of information about not just your period, but also mood swings, fatigue, exercise, diet, what is normal, what is not normal, and how women who have their periods can get back into alignment with their cycle, right? Who Have you ever even thought of that concept? What a concept. However, before we get started, I want to give you all a quick reminder that I'm giving all listeners of the Elisa Unfiltered podcast a free gift. So February in and beyond, into 2021 is all about self-care, right? And I'm making your life super clear, easy, and organized with the ultimate self-love checklist. This list includes 24 ways to take care of yourself without the fluff, without spending extra money, and it will also kickstart your confidence. The link is in the show notes, so make sure you download it, have it, start checking the boxes, and thinking outside the traditional box when it comes to self-care. Okay, so self-love and taking care of yourself is a big part of today's show. My guest is Cassandra Wilder. Cassandra is a naturopathic doctor and the leading expert in women's cyclical health and menstruation. Revolutionizing the conversation around periods and reproductive health, she's been featured as a guest expert in over 100 publications and podcasts. Woo! I am so stoked that she's here guesting on Elisa Unfiltered. She's also a must follow on Instagram at, at Menstruation Queen, where she gives practical and clear tips for women who want balanced periods and healthy hormones. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. Let's get started. Here we go. Cassandra, I'm so happy to be seeing you in person. I've been following you on social media for a while now, and I absolutely love your message. And I'm so happy that you're on the show. So thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to finally get to meet you as well. So cool. Okay. So you have a unique message and well, it's unique to me, I would say, because not a lot of holistic 
or naturopaths or, or anyone in the field of medicine really focuses and targets on the menstrual cycle, on hormones, female hormones, and you break it down in such a way that's so relatable and understandable. And I think that's why like so many people are gravitating towards you because you're like, she gets me. She really gets me. <laughs> and there's so many women out there that are suffering in silence so I kind of wanted to start the show, which is like, wh- how? tell me a little bit about your story. How did you get into this and how has this become your, your passion? Yeah. Well, thank you for those kind words. I'm glad that I, I do a good job at breaking apart these things that can feel really complex. And like mm-hmm. you said, a lot of people don't really talk about menstruation. So most people, when they do see what I post, do feel seen like, oh my God, like that is the issue I'm having and no one has ever described it in that way Mm -hmm. Uh, but like a lot of us the work that I do came from my own personal experience so in my adolescence I had a lot of irregularity with my periods and uh, now looking back I can tell I wasn't ovulating for much of my adolescence because my cycles would disappear for months at a time and finally at the age of 18 I went to a doctor thinking that this you know these people will know how to help me they will help me have my my period back they'll help me feel better Um, and was so surprised that birth control was the only option on the table. There were no questions about my lifestyle. They didn't ask that I was an athlete because I was, so it kind of makes sense why my periods were so irregular. Mm. They didn't ask anything about my very low body weight, nothing. It was just birth control is all we can do, um, and that's about it. And even at that young age, I remember thinking, that's it? Like, that, that's what you have to offer me? You, you know, these brilliant people, that's the option. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I tried it for a couple months. Um, it did not work well for me. It made me very moody and irritable and <laughs> kind of all the, the cliches of, of a woman on birth control. So uh, it really became this, this mission for me. In my undergrad, as I was studying health and nutrition, to start to understand my body. Um, I'll be honest, in my traditional schooling, though, there wasn't a lot of help there either. The the nutrition and things were very much based on like the food guide pyramid and, um, you know, things that I definitely don't believe in now. So by the time I got to naturopathic school, I finally felt like I was home. I was finally talking to people that also viewed the human body as an incredible multi-layered organism. And we were talking about really healing things at the root versus suppression of symptoms. And I just remember being like, these are my people. And now, now we're talking about stuff that really makes sense. Um, and it was the perfect opportunity for me to do what you know Hippocrates said, heal thyself. So through my own understanding of my own body and my own healing journey, it became kind of a, a fiery passion to give other women these tools because there's not a lot of people talking about it. And even in the medical field itself, there are huge stigmas around menstruation mm. and very little support given to most women. Oh my gosh, a hundred percent I like this I have a similar story like I was very very young I wasn't even having sex at the time and my doctor told me to be on birth control and I stayed on it for 17 years I was on birth control from age like 15 until basically 30 32 33 yeah it was it was quite a trip of like what I just classified as what normal is because I was on it from such a young age, I just thought this is normal. And my doctor was telling me it was normal. And then when I went off it, my body was like, what is happening? (laughs) And then I was like, this is my new normal. But all the while, 
it was a it was a very interesting challenging and and lonely time like right like it's kind of this this thing that we all know women get most women get their periods and cramping is normal so people would ask me, maybe you have a low pain tolerance. Maybe uh, it's just the birth control and this is the way it is. And I was like, oh my God, like, please. So I, I, now I don't want to like bash the medical community. That's kind of (laughs) where I lean into sometimes, especially when it comes to this, because I feel an unjust, I've, I feel injustice, (laughs) (laughs) towards this from the medical community. However, I want to know what your, okay, let me just get to the question. I want to know what your (laughs) opinion is of what normal hormones are. I've had mine tested so many times. I've always been like, oh, I think my hormones are off. I think they're off. And I have this intuitive feeling. And then they always test in the normal range. And I'm like, oh, what the hell? Can you speak to that? I'll attempt to not go on a soapbox here, but okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it just reminds me perfectly of this graphic that exemplifies what you're sharing, where it's showing a patient sitting in a doctor's office and they're covered in like scabs and their hair is falling out and they look so sad and they, they yeah. can't lose weight. And, you know, they're just like the vision of, of like falling apart. And the doctor's like, oh, well, your labs look normal. You're the, you're the, you're the perfect image of health, you know, and you're looking at the person like, well, if we just set down the labs for a second, we could see this person's not okay. So that's the irony. You're so right. A lot of people go in and get hormone testing done. Everything is quote normal. And this can be so dismissive to the patient because now it's like, we're questioning how well they even know their own body. We're telling them, no, it's all in your head. Or that's just part of being a woman. Like you said, a lot of these really Mm. unenjoyable symptoms are categorized as just part of being a woman. You're going to be in pain. You're going to be moody. You're going to, you know, lose your sex drive at some point. And that's such a travesty to me and how misleading that is for the average woman that comes into the doctor's office. So what I tell my patients when they come to me and say, yeah, I, I feel these, you know, myriad of symptoms, but my labs say they're normal. You know your body better than any test. So if you know that something is off, something is off. With the testing as well in the Western medicine scale, the scale of normal is massive, which is why a lot of people, even you know, they even though on a Western scale they may come back as normal, someone like me will look at their levels and be like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> your progesterone is almost in the unhealthy range. So no wonder you're experiencing PMS and your hair is falling out and you're tired all the time and whatever. So it's it's one of those things where we have to be our own best advocates. And if you know something is wrong, then you have to you have to take that initiative to find that second opinion, because unfortunately, in the the modern medical approach, a lot of women get left behind. Interesting. Okay, one of the other sort of things, just to add to that, was I've had my hormones tested. Um, I've had some blood work done. Maybe it wasn't hormones. Now that I'm speaking of it, but my sister also she lives in a different city than I do. And her, she's had her blood work done and we were comparing one day because I was feeling terrible. And it was interesting on some of her tests, I was in the low category. I was out of the range. And I was like, why is your range different than my range? Mm. And I didn't realize that it's population based. It's based on where you live. It's demographic. I'm like, that is crazy. So that was just another like, Right. Well, like, no wonder 
sounds normal yeah all these scales even though yeah um, beneath the surface there is just an imbalance that's manifesting more and more over time all right so one of the things that i'm going to quote you here i love quoting people you said something that was really impactful to me you said symptoms are whispers from the body now when it comes to a period a normal period is it normal to have cramps is it normal to have pms those types of things like what is not normal Mm. if it takes away from your quality of life that is an extreme that's not normal okay so some people do say that they have pain-free periods they never get pms and that's wonderful when we look at physiologically what your body's doing you know and this incredible orchestration of fluctuations and hormones and all of that it's it's likely that some level of mood change is normal you might feel some cramping but yeah if you're in bed for a day or if your marriage is on the rock rocks you know half yeah. the month because of your moods not normal <laughs> oh my god that's so me okay that's totally me i want to get to me in a second <laughs> um so Let's talk about mood swings because I think most women can really attest to like bursting out into tears for no reason, getting mad for like the dumbest stuff. One of the things that I started to do because I I was really getting to know myself and observe myself in a different way. I was practicing awareness. I was starting to really pay attention to my life and I noticed that, you know, if the if, you know, a pot wasn't in the right spot, I would lose my mind. Or if we, like, if my partner ate the last cookie and didn't tell me, I would lose my mind. And so I started to track in my, cause I don't, I'm not on birth control anymore. I have like an app that I track my cycle. I would track in my cycle when those mood swings were like at the most like crazy. And it always, I started to find a trend that it was always around ovulation for me. Like when I was ovulating, I would burst into tears. I'd be so mad. And that almost gave me like some grace. I was like, okay, it's that time of year. It's not me. It's just my hormones (laughs) or something to that effect. Okay. So it got me thinking like, is that normal? So after watching you this, I want to ask you, how do we, like, what do we do with mood swings? How can we, there, there's a, a million questions in that statement that I just made. Can, <laughs> can you answer all of them? Okay, cool. Thanks. I know. Get comfy, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if, if it's okay, then I'll just kind of categorize it as PMS. Okay. Since that's kind of the easiest umbrella we can put over all of this. And you know, you're not alone. It's estimated 90% of women experience PMS every single month where they feel like their moods do take away from their quality of life, which is Mm -hmm. astounding. 90%, nine out of 10 women. Huge. So there's a couple layers, especially to PMS and the mood changes, the, you know, energy changes, the, like there's so many symptoms that come alongside that, that most women can really resonate with. So you're right. We have to look at the hormonal or the physiological level And then we also have to look at the emotional level. And this is what's really unique in my work is weaving those two together because we can treat something hormonally all day long, but if your lifestyle is self-neglect and never slowing down and Mm. trying to be the perfect mom and the perfect wife and the perfect employee to where you run yourself ragged, like there's only so much that I can do for you, right? So it's both. Mm -hmm. PMS on a hormone level is just usually an imbalance between cortisol and progesterone. So progesterone, especially in the second half of your cycle, when most people have PMS, 
uh, is supposed to keep you feeling really calm and grounded. It's just like the Zen hormone. So if we don't have enough of that, then we don't feel very Zen. <laughs> yeah, we feel okay. irritated and agitated and all of that. Um, cortisol, of course, is just the stress hormone. So if stress is high, cortisol steals the precursor for progesterone. So it just becomes a vicious cycle. Stress what does that is high, mean? Steals. What does what that, that? What does that mean? The precursor. What does that mean? The precursor so for progesterone. Okay. And so that is the hormone that helps make progesterone. If that makes sense. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So cortisol comes in and yeah, like steals the the foundation of Interesting. progesterone. And okay. so now cortisol's high, progesterone's low, and then in a severe case. The stress hormone can also turn off ovulation because if we think biologically, you know, the body doesn't know the difference between a bear trying to eat you yep. and just a really stressful lifestyle. And so it says, hey, there might be a bear trying to eat you. It would be bad news to get pregnant right now. So just turn off that ability once and for all. Yeah. If we don't ovulate, it's impossible to make progesterone. So we can see how people get really stuck really fast where suddenly they're like, I can't get pregnant. I'm irritable all the time. I don't feel good. I just, I don't feel like myself anymore. I feel aged and just old in my body. And, you know, giving someone progesterone cream or something like that is like the last thing that's really going to help them. We have to ask why. That's the most valuable question I have in my practice is why. So that's like the physiological hormonal side. And then on the emotional side, you know, we think of PMS as premenstrual syndrome, and I like to reframe it for my clients in prioritize myself. Mm. So interestingly, if you look at the how a woman's physiology, uh, physiology shifts throughout the month, in that luteal phase, that phase right before your period, that's innately a time where most of us have a decrease in energy levels. Yep. And we just tend to feel a little more introspective. It's kind of like our inner fall, you could say. That gives mm. us kind of the nice feeling of what it's like. We can't operate in that phase the way we did at the first half of our cycle where estrogen was surging and we were energetic and ready to go and just feeling really good. So when we push against our own natural rhythms, especially in that second half of the month, the body starts to talk to us. The body's only way to talk to us is through symptoms. And if you don't listen to those symptoms, they rev up. They get worse and worse and worse until you're like, what is happening? I'm listening. What do you want? Yeah. So PMS, while it's really annoying and while I know no one likes it, it's also a really powerful moment to check in and ask, where am I not taking care of myself? Because likely on a day when we're raging with PMS, we didn't eat breakfast because we were too busy. And mm. our kids were driving us nuts. So we canceled the rest of our day because we feel like we need to be present with them. And, you know, it kind of becomes this domino effect of putting ourselves at the bottom of the priority list. So prioritize yourself. Yeah. That's a big, that is a big one. I am so glad you said that prioritizing yourself, which, you know, it's like, not to go on a tangent here, but it's, it's one of those things that seems hard or impossible to start. But once you start doing it, it's like, oh my God, why was I not doing this all the time? Like, it's one of those things, like when you have a plan and you know the why and you, and you know that you're important and you believe in your prior, that you are a priority, I just think it's so powerful. So let's just say we are ready to, make to put ourselves first and to balance out that emotional side of things if we're ready however we are so damn bloated 
<laughs> and we're gaining weight. Like that is one of the biggest things that I'm seeing or hearing about from my clients is the weight gain, is the stress and and horrible weight gain over your cycle, over when you get your period. Now that's something that I experience as well. So I would love to pick your brain about that. Totally. So with any of these things, again, they tend to come back to the hormonal component. And so for the bloating, the weight gain, the feeling fatigued, all of it, we kind of have to think of the hierarchy of hormones here. So this is where I find with my clients, we can really start to move the needle because we're not taking the surface approach. We're going down to where the issue is actually beginning, okay. which is stress. Oh, and I know okay. it's like so not a sexy thing to talk about because we all know like de-stress and self-care and we know these things, but how many of us are really living that every single day? Yeah. And what I tell my clients is we can't out-supplement a lifestyle where you're not taking care of yourself. Mm. So that's that's the ironic thing that, you know, people come to me and they're like ready for the supplement protocol. Mm-hmm. And when I tell them that part of their protocol is like taking an evening for themselves once a week and having a morning routine and communicating with their partner and establishing boundaries. They're like, Oh, well, that's not the, (laughs) that's not what I wanted to hear. Isn't it funny that we have so much resistance to do that? It's, it's actually crazy. It's actually crazy to me that that's the thing. Cause like, yeah, I mean, however, when you say, when we talk about this healing part it's hard, I think, for a lot of women to, you know, you know, we're, we're so bloated, we've, we're exhausted, we have like super bad cramps. It's, it's so hard to, uh, when you're in that, because that's pretty stressful, right? It's stressful when you're having a really hard period. And it's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, sort of like, what, how do I, is it my body? Is it me? Like what is actually causing this? And when you're in that crap, it's so hard to do anything, but just like deal, (laughs) like you're dealing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. And that is honestly where Western medicine is so helpful because it will immediately address the symptoms, right? Like there's no shame. And if you do feel like a painkiller with your period or something is the only way to manage, like there's yeah, no judgment here. Um, but ideally in the meantime, especially in the rest of the month, when we're not maybe in the worst phase, whether that's our period or that luteal phase with PMS or whatever, ideally we're focusing in and rebuilding the body at the root so that we can start to see changes. So like with that hormone hierarchy I mentioned, we think of things like estrogen and progesterone, testosterone, all that, the sex hormones, but that's the top of the pyramid. What comes below that is the thyroid. And then at the real root of the whole shebang is adrenals and cortisol. And Mm -hmm. so by the time an issue has manifested into low progesterone or high estrogen or high testosterone, right now we've got acne and little facial hairs popping up and Mm -hmm. we're losing the hair on our head we've got to trace it back to the roots, which is helping to rebuild the adrenals on a physical sense. But then yes, that rest and taking care of ourselves and the things that for whatever reason in our culture, we really dismiss and see as selfish or bad. Yeah. That's the hustle mentality, glorifying the hustle. Yes. Yes. It's like so annoying when you break out of that and you just watch everyone hustling. You're like, Oh man. So (laughs) not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like, okay, let's, let's start paying attention to ourselves here. Exactly. Okay. So one of the things that 
resonates with me when it comes to hormones. I definitely want to talk about that pyramid a little bit more mm-hmm. because when you're talking about stress, a lot of it, um, what resonates in my life personally is being an, a former athlete, uh, huge, huge workouts, huge, huge highs, huge lows with adrenaline, with competing, with, um, trainings, with all of that stuff. And then the pressure and the high, like I would literally be so high for days and days. And then there was always the crash inside of that. There was even more, there was like the diet component, how I was causing stress on my body with what I was eating. Um, and all of these things kind of sort of, this is how I've not self-diagnosed because I have seen treatment and I do see a naturopath. Um, but what all signs lead to is, estrogen dominance in my life right now. Does that make sense? It can. Yeah. Especially as a former athlete, this makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it's wild in that, I don't know if you've read this, but very little research studies have actually been done in exercise science or nutrition for women of reproductive ages. Okay. So largely these studies are done on men or postmenopausal women, because there's a stigma even in science that women's hormones are too complicated to figure out in the realm of research. Like women are too unpredictable, so just leave them out. Yeah. And do these things on men and postmenopausal women. So um, there are changes happening though. Like the U.S. soccer team actually trains their athletes around their menstrual cycles, so they know that there's times of a cycle when. Um, the energy will be better when uh, strength building will be better. There's times of the month where it's easier to build lean muscle mass. There's other times of the month where rigorous exercise will turn on fat retention. So it's kind of like the first major team I know of in the U.S. that's actually like using (laughs) women's science and women's sports wild, right? That's amazing. Um, Yeah, it's super cool. And I hope that continues. There's a really good book called Roar um, by a former triathlete who... Uh, tri, what do they call <laughs> triathlete? Tri- yeah, yeah, a triathlete. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Triathlon? No, that's what it's called. <laughs> I'm not a triathlete, so. <laughs> um, but it's really cool. She found that different phases of her cycle, her physiology changed, and there were times where her her times were like minutes better, just depending on when these races lined up in her cycle. So it's really cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So then. Yeah, the estrogen dominance can make sense because after so many years of prolonged stress on the body where maybe ovulation was turned off, it's just likely that at some point that's going to affect the sex hormones. Now, it's interesting is when you look at estrogen dominance, all that means is estrogen is higher in relation to progesterone. Okay. So there's kind of two ways to look at estrogen. If estrogen is high and progesterone is low, yes, that's estrogen dominance, so that would just mean our body's not excreting estrogen uh, adequately. However, if progesterone is normal and estrogen is high, that's always an indicator of environmental toxin exposure. So meaning synthetic estrogens, whether that was from birth control, medications, sanitary products, foods, it's just the system's overwhelmed by synthetic estrogen. So I think that's cool because just from someone's labs, again, I can see, is this a really deep problem or is this just your body's bogged down with a lot of xenoestrogens? 
So what does estrogen do? Because when I look at the estrogen dominant symptom scale, I have like every single one of the things there. The main one is like extreme fatigue. I also get really high mood. Like I get very moody. It's really interesting. Thank God I have an amazing partner who holds space for me for like those three days a month. He calls me a crazy lady, but he still gives me extra hugs because it's just like, I don't know what else to do. I totally change. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually a lot of this is really making sense because you had shared your symptoms are worse around ovulation, which is pretty rare. Mm -hmm. Most people feel worse later in the month. So if you're feeling worse at ovulation, if I didn't know anything else about you, I would assume that that means estrogen is high and as it's declining, it's not declining fast enough. Okay. So there's, again, a buildup going on. So all this is making sense. Your symptoms are lining up. So right. nothing's in your head. You're not crazy. Nothing like oh. that. Um, so <laughs> estrogen in a healthy balance is supposed to be the juicy, sexy, fertile hormone. So in balance, it's supposed to give us energy. It's supposed to help us feeling vital. It's supposed to uh, create healthy cervical mucus so that we have you know, pleasure with intimacy and all of that. Um, it's a feel good hormone, but if it's too low or too high, yeah, we really, (laughs) we know when that's the case, just like you mentioned. And you'd also mentioned the fatigue part, which I think is just a perfect reiteration that while estrogen dominance may be the primary thing that you feel you're experiencing, likely it's tracing back a lot further into, but what is your thyroid doing and what is your adrenal health like? Mm Mm-hmm. That is a really good question. I did get my thyroid tested and it was normal. Yeah. So I just was like, frig. And then it's really interesting too, because I was also seeing someone who was talking about stress and I was like, for, for a couple of years saying, I'm not that stressed. I'm like, I don't have that much stress. I was in complete denial about what was actually causing stress in my body So it was a really interesting thing when I took the approach of, okay, let's just say I am stressed. (laughs) In theory. What what could be? What am I eating? How much am I sleeping? What are my workouts like? Like I was training for a marathon and I was running like two, three hours a day. Like it was crazy. And I was like, oh no, that's my release. That's how I get that's how I meditate. That's self-care. And then I was like, what if I just didn't do that anymore? <laughs> what would happen? And it was, it's been a very interesting couple of years with testing these things because that's, I don't know, that's my approach. It's like, you, how do you know unless you actually try something and, and, and figure it out mm-hmm. in many yeah, ways? Yeah, you're so wise. I love that. Um, And I love that even though at first you were really uncomfortable with the idea of like really admitting that maybe there are stressful components of your life, you were open to trying it and you even tweaked massive parts of your lifestyle. That's really beautiful. It was guided though. I have to say, I didn't come up with that myself. I do have a (laughs) spiritual coach who was like, you should probably do this. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Diet and exercise. Since, Since we're on the subject of you know, workouts. Can you recommend a general rule of thumb when it comes to the female hormone cycle and workouts? Yes, 100%. So, and this is really cool. Um, Like I said, there's not a lot of research done in 
actual like exercise science for women's bodies. However, we do know a lot about what cortisol and blood sugar does throughout the month, and that can be the greatest way for us to determine the best exercise. We're using the research we've got. <laughs> okay, let's do it. <clears throat> so the first half of your cycle, your follicular phase and your ovulation, so this is when your period is done. We'll just, for simplicity, say those first two weeks of yep. your cycle. This is a time when estrogen is starting to surge, so that energy is going to start to increase after your period. Cortisol is also naturally at its lowest point in this part of your cycle, so this is why for some of us in the first half of our cycle, stressful things kind of roll off of us, and then two weeks later, if that same thing happened, we're like, blah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we can't handle it. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, it's, there's, it's, we'll just poke fun at the way we are. Yeah. Um, Cortisol is naturally lower. Blood sugar is also more consistent. So meaning, um, for example, I'm not a proponent for intermittent fasting in any form for most women. Maybe if your hormones are perfect, you could kind of dabble in it, but let's be honest, most people don't have perfect hormones. So it's not beneficial for most women. Again, mm. the science that says it's really beneficial was done on men. So yes, if you are a man, fast away. It's great for you. Oh, I'm happy you mentioned that. I want to touch. Okay, keep going. So in this first half of your cycle, your body is primed to build lean muscle mass and to lose fat. So high intensity workouts are beautiful here. And you'll just have to honor how you feel day to day. Like I kind of teach with my clients, it's kind of like seasons. So it's not like day five comes and you're ready to go run a marathon. You know, it might be like day five, day six, you feel a little more energetic. And then day seven, day eight, now you feel ready to, to go to a spin class. And, you know, nothing is abrupt in your body. It's just like the seasons. It's so gradual, you don't even really notice it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, high intensity workouts, spin classes, hot yoga, all of that is beautiful. If your hormones are fairly balanced, I'll come back to what to do if your hormones are severely imbalanced and how this is different. So first half of your cycle, go crazy. Have fun. Love it. Now in the second half in your luteal phase and your period phase, things are different. Cortisol is naturally higher which means the same really high intensity workout that maybe made you feel so good at the beginning of the month now makes you leave feeling worse. Maybe we've all felt that where we book a spin class like two weeks in advance and we go to it and we leave and we feel horrible. We don't feel good. Yeah. So the stress of the exercise coupled with the higher cortisol has now turned on fat retention and now we're wasting lean muscle mass. So now we're doing the opposite of what we even wanted. So now we go home and we feel bloated and tired mm -hmm. and not so good. Our blood sugar is also more inconsistent in the luteal phase, which means if we're not eating consistent complex carbs throughout the day, blood sugar is going to go awry. And I kind of share this with my clients. There's not a huge difference in the way we feel between being hangry and PMSy. Yeah, they're kind of the same feeling. So sometimes, which one is it? You know, is it you haven't eaten in a few hours and your blood sugar is really low? So you're extra irritable or, you know, who knows? It could be one or the other, but they're very similar. Mm. So in this phase, we want to focus more on strength building. So less of the high intensity stuff, but strength building. And as you approach your period and into your period, nothing more than gentle Pilates, uh, a restorative yoga, and frankly, rest. So I think this makes it fun. Now we can see we've got a lot of variety here. We don't feel like we're doing the same thing day to day. Um, and it's working with your biology, which is really cool. Now, if you're stressed hormonally or you're definitely rebuilding from the ground up, meaning you know your adrenals are, are really healing right now, 30 minutes of walking a day is the doctor's order. Really? So 
be gentle with yourself. Yeah. 30 minutes of walking a day. What about an hour? You know, if you feel up to it, if you feel like things are improving, but um, obviously I'm speaking to a, a pretty big extreme, of like the person that's, yeah, that's definitely not in a place to go jumping around at an orange theory class or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we could say 30 to 60 minutes of a nice walk every day. Every day. And then so, um, and that is until when, what point, till our, we start feeling more normal or because sometimes we don't even know what normal is. Like, how do we? Yeah, so you could either have testing done again, or I honestly believe we always know internally how things are going if we're willing to listen. So when you start to see a reduction in your symptoms, because ideally we'd be doing all of this alongside a good supplement protocol and eating really consciously for our hormones to really fix what's going on rather than just keep it where it's at. Um, Yeah, most people three to six months of good like adrenal support is enough to feel a pretty significant difference. Interesting. Okay. Let's talk about food. We just talked about exercise. Let's talk a little bit about food and maybe how we can consciously support ourselves in our cycle. Is there, is there things that we can do different? Cause you mentioned complex carbohydrates in the second half of your cycle. And I was like, Ooh, yeah, that, that resonates with me. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Totally. Yeah. Like we talked about a little off air, we're not fans of really rigid diet structure. I'm not a big fan of keto or mm-hmm. whole 30 or anything that, yeah, it makes you kind of obsess over your food or calorie counting or macro counting or any of that. I don't like that. Personally, I find it's a lot more um, freeing for people to feel like they just have some general guidelines around what they can do to really support their cycles. So to kind of go back to our previous format, the first half of your cycle, the best thing we can eat is an abundance of dark leafy greens so that if estrogen builds to a point that is too high, Mm -hmm. we'll have an ability to flush those out. Um, Especially with estrogen, another key thing to ensure is that this person's having at least one good bowel movement every single day. Because if we're not pooping once a day, estrogen innately is going to build up. And those greens then help with that. Gotcha. And they'll make sure we're going to the bathroom frequently. So those are nice. <laughs> um, so dark leafy greens and then seed cycling is something that I teach to a lot of my clients. Really, really beneficial. Um, and all that is is eating one tablespoon of certain seeds at different times of the month. So days oh. one through 14 of your cycle, you eat one tablespoon of ground flax and really? one tablespoon of pumpkin seed. And, okay, um, I'm gonna. I'm doing this. I'm. D- it's so easy. Yeah. yeah. And I just recommend grinding them. That way, you can kind of sprinkle them on. Like my go-to mm-hmm. lunch. Maybe this sounds not appealing to some, but is a bunch of steamed broccoli with lots of good grass-fed butter and pink sea salt. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And then I do <sighs> the seeds on top of that. I swear, like it's the most delicious thing. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I, I have all of these things in my house. I'm like gonna make it right now. <laughs> yeah. That butter or salt. It okay. So good. <laughs> awesome. So that's easy. And then in the second half of your cycle for the seed cycling, you're doing ground sesame seeds and ground uh, sunflower. Okay. And there are cool companies that that do all this for you and mail it to you. There's a friend of mine in Texas that has a company like this, so it's really cool. I've been buying from her. Uh, but you can totally do this at home and just grind your own too. Okay, so. you, you got to shout out your friend's company. What? Where are we yes. buying this right now? <laughs> her <laughs> company's called Funkit. Funkit, love it. Yeah, and she, yeah, if you find her on Instagram, she's got the funnest 
Yeah, she's got a great vibe. I love it. So she just mails it all to you. Um, so food-wise in the luteal phase, then complex carbs is really important. So yeah, starting your day especially with something that is high in PFF, protein, fat, and then fiber. So mm. a great breakfast, for example, in your luteal phase or period phase would be like diced sweet potatoes with some zucchini and bell pepper, sautéed in some coconut oil or butter, you know, with a couple eggs mm. or bacon or something, again, that we've got all that good complex fiber, like mm. the sweet potato, the veggies. We've got our good fat, coconut oil, the bacon, whatever you're eating, and then a good protein like eggs or tempeh or whatever you're into. Mmm, delish. And then eating consistently, so every couple hours, especially in your luteal phase, um, is such a game changer. So okay. PFF, at every meal, just look at your plate and determine you have your protein, fat, and fiber. Okay. Awesome tips. That is, I'm, I'm have a, a long list here that I'm writing down. <laughs> I'm sure everyone else is too. <laughs> uh, okay. So at the beginning of the show, you mentioned sex drive and we have to talk about this before we end the show because sex drive our sex drive. Like how many of my friends have, how many times have I discussed no sex drive. And then as women, we feel like there's something wrong with us and we internalize it. And that causes a lot of stress too. Like what's happening there if we have absolutely no sex drive? Well, this is quite the topic. Okay. And I might give some suggestions that are unexpected here. Oh, I like this. (laughs) Because there's kind of two layers. There's physical and emotional. Um, Because physically, we have to look at, is the lack of sex drive because there's dryness, so it doesn't feel good? Is it because Mm. there's no sensation there? Is it because that surge of libido never really comes? So what part of that is missing for people? Or is it painful? There's usually some sort of, yeah, it hurts because I'm dry all the time. Or I don't feel like I ever want it. Like I could go the rest of my life never having sex and I'm happy. I've heard so many people say that actually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Super common for, yeah. Especially as we get into our like late thirties, early forties, which is also when, especially if we were on birth control for much of our life, we start to really see these issues manifest. So part of that is addressing hormonally what's going on. So if we've got a lot of the dryness, we got to look at estrogen because estrogen is probably low. Um, if we're having that lack of desire, you know, what is ovulation doing? Are we ovulating? So a lot of birth control turns off ovulation. And if that egg is not being released, sometimes we don't get that spurt of desire too. Mm. So we have to look at what's going on there. And of course, just to be a broken record here, we got to look at what stress is yeah. doing too. Mm-hmm. Because if we're stressed, the body says, this is the last thing we need to worry about right now. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that recommend things like aphrodisiacs and all of that. But in my opinion, we got to go a little deeper than that. Sure. The second piece to it that maybe isn't talked about as much, um, but I think is really worth thinking about is usually when we find that our sex drive has dried up or it's no longer something we even desire, we have to look deeper at life as a whole. Because usually when we lose that desire, it's because internally we know something is not working in our life anymore. So whether that's we feel unhappy with our general quality of life, we no longer feel heard or seen by our partner, We feel like we don't know who we are. We lack creativity. Like there's usually a really deep wound Mm. behind 
that lack of sexual desire. And so ideally we have a practitioner or a therapist or someone that can, you know, lovingly hold that space for us to be like, well, actually now that you say it, <laughs> yeah, I feel dried up as a mom and as a wife and, and I don't have time for myself anymore. Or yeah, my partner and I have grown apart. So no wonder that desire is not there. It's not that you're broken. It's just, there's a piece that's missing. So my hope is that all women have that, that container where they can think about it. And I really like that. That's powerful. It's almost also to say, like, I know that a lot of people say in those stressful emotional times that not having a sex drive is normal. And I really like to rephrase things like that as not normal, but common. It's something that's common because normally we, our bodies, you know, if we're in alignment, wouldn't feel this way. Right? Exactly. So that's really important. Okay. So how can we work with you? (laughs) Let's get to the real important things. (laughs) (laughs) You're so sweet. Uh, So on my website, CassandraWilder.com, there's an application page. So if you feel inspired to reach out or if you are more of a self-guided kind of person, there's also a free balanced period bundle that you can get started in to learn a few of my top recommendations to balance your cycle. All right. And do you give like food supplement recommendations as well on your, you have like, I saw on your uh, Instagram, you have some highlights that have some of your favorite products. Yes. Yes. Um, I talk a little bit about that in the free bundle, of course, with my one-on-one clients. The other main thing I do is my signature offering period reboots, which is a five week course to transform your hormones and your periods. Mm. And we talk a lot about that in there as well. Like how to smart supplement and not waste your money (laughs) with all the influencers, you know, recommended supplements. Okay. So I will have all the links in the show notes here. Now, I do like to ask my guests two questions before we before we say sayonara. And the first one is, if you could be known for one thing, what would it be? Mm. Oh, I like this question. I guess, yeah, if I could go down in history, if my name could be in books for generations to come. <laughs> um, what I'd love to be known for is a pioneer in women's health and really the the person that started a massive reframe in how we approach women's medicine. Oh, you know what, girl, you're on your way to doing that. Like, <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. I love that. Uh, okay. And the last question is, what does the world need more of? Mm. This is very Oprah Winfrey. This is, a, this is actually stolen directly from the Super Soul podcast. <laughs> I like it. It's fine. Mm. The world needs more uh, self-love, self-compassion. We're all so hard on ourselves, especially as women. We feel like we're trying to live up to these unrealistic expectations. We're putting ourselves down. We're criticizing ourselves. We're ripping our bodies apart. Mm. And uh, yeah, I wish I could give everyone permission to just be okay with where you are and who you are right now because you're enough. You don't need to be anywhere else. So just be kind to yourself. That's amazing. So beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. That was awesome. Thank you. All right. That's all for me today. I want to thank my guest, Cassandra Wilder, for coming on the show to share her story and wisdom about this subject that needs to be talked about more and more and made normalized. So thank you, Cassandra. If you haven't done so yet, please go to the show notes and download your copy of the ultimate self-love checklist and start a new journey without the fluff. I know you will love it. 
Thank you all so much for listening. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time.